When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 95% of contracts do not include the publisher owning the IP rights. Wow. If you're looking for long-term gains, you need to support the people that make you money. Yeah, don't treat your employees poorly. Yeah. (laughs) It's a a pretty good motto. If you want to. So can you learn from that and, like, not treat me poorly? Yeah. Wait, did I just call myself that? Wait, we're a partner. Partnership. I have to remember. We're partner. (laughs) God damn it. Why do I I forget that this is the bald head? It makes you think that you're the employee. I I always think it's something. The bald guy is always the boss. I got that. Yeah. It (laughs) it shows experience, stress. Stress is up there. You know. The it's the guy with. I don't need hair anymore. I'm. I have power. Welcome, welcome everyone to the Tudor Realm Podcast. My name is Richard. My name is Austin. And be afraid. We're going over Brandon Sanderson and Daniel Green's 10 warnings to readers and the entire book industry. I'm ready to get into it. Okay, we're, this is basically the video's introduction. This is what Sanderson's saying from the man himself. If you've seen our channel before, we have a deep appreciation and love we're, for Sanderson. We're sort of fans. I think it, between Sanderson, I, I appreciate. Fans, okay, I can appreciate him. You know, like a respectable. He's he's no Robert Jordan for you. Actually, I'll be honest. I I, lo- I love Robert Jordan. He made my favorite thing. Uh huh. But I love Rams. Ah, <laughs> that was ho- that's so They're wholesome. They're probably on the same level for me. Oh, so what a wholesome that. start. What a good vibes Monday to the Ramble Ups. Are you ready? Okay, mm. so this is what Brandon Sanderson says to start the video with Daniel Greed. They just recorded this, what, this last week? Oh, we have a fun topic today. Yes, we do. Um, you pitched this and I twisted it. You said, oh, predictions for the future of publishing. And I'm like, what if mine were all doom and gloom and terrible? So that's how he starts off. He's just going, all right, I have a lot of doom and gloom predictions here. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, everyone knows Brandon Sanderson is known for his grim, dark uh, storytelling, you know. Right. So it makes sense to me. By the way, that that is something. I'm not original. That's what Brandon Sanderson told himself. That's his own joke. Anywho. (laughs) How much more unoriginal can you get of making making an unoriginal joke stealing from Sanderson also reacting to a video? And you know what's even better? I could have just said it, and then we cut that out of his video so that people (laughs) who don't watch their video think that I came up with us. Genius. Man, we're really getting this YouTube game down. Oh, we are. Use other people's content for (sighs) our content. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. And then 
you know, a couple weeks later, we react to our reaction. <laughs> Recycle. Uh, you all hate us right now. So <laughs> this is the very first point, and Sanderson and Daniel Green each have five predictions they make. So Sanderson's five, Daniel Green's five. We'll go in between each and discuss each one. Yeah. This is Sanderson's number five, his fifth concern. This is what he says. So my number five is subscription services getting pushed more and more. This isn't a new thing. We have seen uh, Kindle Unlimited. Yes. We have seen, you know, this idea that Audible is how you buy a subscription to Audible and get a credit every month. So yes. subscriptions are not a new thing in publishing. But um, Spotify just announced that they are going to be doing an all-you-can-eat buffet. You pay one monthly fee, and then you're going to be listening to as many audiobooks as you want. And that goes on. He yeah. goes on to explain that subscription services in the publishing industry are going to become more and more prevalent. I have. Do you, do you agree with them? I do. Yeah. I have plenty of thoughts on this. So first and foremost, I did remember seeing the Spotify news that oh, the full, hey, you one pay one month fee and then it's by the minute like or hour that you listen to. So okay. it's not you buy an individual book. You can listen to anything, but you're certain you're stuck to a certain amount of time you can listen to. Mm. I imagine Sanderson was talking about how eventually it's going to be open up to you pay one price. You can listen to as many audiobooks as you want. All right. I was looking into it going, oh, maybe that's a good deal. But then part of me, one, the, the first, I think the current tier is, am I pulling out, correct me if I'm wrong, how much is the... How much Spotify? Is the, Spotify. How much do you get? I think it was something like 15 hours. For audiobooks, is that a what month. you're saying? Yeah. Spot so Spotify audiobook. I'm going to cut to the answer right about now. And yes, the answer is 15 hours of audiobook streaming monthly okay. from their catalog of over 200,000 titles. To me, that's not nearly enough. That's so, not even like, a book. It's not even a book. Especially a fantasy book. That's yeah, like, so you, if you get 15 <laughs> hours a month, you're finishing Stormlight in three decades, if you think <laughs> about it. So that's just not feasible. Oh yeah, for me, it was not worth it. No. However... Little plug, we are not sponsored by this company at all. But I just want to say Libro.fm is now my audiobook thing that I use. Specifically, it is a subscription model, but it has the benefits of a subscription model where I get that pay like 15 bucks a month yeah. for a credit. But I get the audiobook. It's not the, the big fear that Sanderson and others have is if it's a subscription, you don't technically own anything. You know, like it's there. You're paying for access. But right. You, you stop paying and it no, goes away. Rich, I'm, I'm actually a bit fed up because I hate subscription models so much. And that's why you should join our monthly Patreon for $10 a month. <laughs> the description below right there, if you want to join a monthly book club <laughs> where you talk with Rich and I at the end of each month, join the endless subscription game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you can't beat them, join them. I don't think we are ever... Not hypocritical. I think that is the like that put, is, that, put that in our tag logo. That is, that is the nature of man. <laughs> Can I can't believe that just naturally fit into a Patreon ad for us. That's great. But subscription. We're models, getting good. We're getting real good at fitting those in any which way we can. I'm not proud of that. <laughs> I'm not proud, but it's working. <laughs> it's it's effective. But I'm with the publishing industry turning into more subscription models like that. Mm -hmm. Is that a thing you think is good for readers slash author? Do you think it benefits authors or readers, benefits either? What do you think? Oh, it benefits readers by far. It think so? a, uh, a larger access with less of a pay uh, pay grade. Like that pay when, uh, God. A 
paywall. Paywall, yeah. However, with the whole thing with Libro.fm is, yes, it's a, subscrip- a subscription model. You get a credit every month to buy whatever book. Mm. But the difference with them is if you stop your subscription, you still own the book. Like, I download the MP3 files. Right. Like, it is mine. I have it stored on a SD drive in my computer. I put it on my iPod Classic. It's there for life. It's mine. I own it. Which it's the best of both worlds. I have mm-hmm. the the whole subscription access with the security of actual ownership, which is it's my favorite business model. Which is why I really I'm gonna love that uh, you're pitching this. I'm gonna put our affiliate link on screen in the description See, as well. We're, we're I'm gonna paranoid get of this stuff. I'm paranoid because I bought a movie on Amazon Prime. Yeah, and it just went away. Like I bought it. Like, I purchased it, and they just took it down from their servers. And I'm like, but I paid full price for my movie. And they go, sorry, it's not here anymore. No money back. And I I hated it. Sanderson, in this video, like, we won't play the whole clip, but he goes on to explain that of how ownership. I'm pretty sure he talks about ownership. Do you remember that from the video? Yeah, exactly. That was the big – that's one of the bigger fears. So there's two aspects to the subscription model, the fears of it, is one, ownership. You no longer own things, which is – a great fear of mine as well. Second is it lowers the pay for authors. Authors and get way less th- money. Think about the writer strike. Of one of the big issues with the writer strike is how do we know how good our show's doing? Because Netflix or these other streaming services wouldn't release the numbers. Because when yeah. you're just doing straight up TV and you you can see how many people are tuning in and well, subscription it, services on the other hand, yep. there's even further that it because it's a third party that's playing. It's the yeah. cable companies not only for them to actually release ads for them to sell advertisement they have to publicly announce right. how well their show like how many viewers are there you want to know how doing. many you're getting on your ad platform, depends on yeah. price exactly actually there was a oh i'm trying to remember the fraud case there i think that's actually oh you, you have to remind me there, the there was a case there was a case of fraud with I think one of these streaming services of advertisers were paying money and thinking that it was doing, it was getting a certain amount of eyeballs. Oh, so they thought they were getting more people than they actually were. Hidden and it's manipulation right. of that data. Your p- advertisers were paying more than they probably should have. Right. So, yeah, there's some. It's a whole whole issue, and that makes it an issue for if authors get into this business for author pay because there's already an issue with author pay when mm-hmm. it comes to services like Audible how Audible pays authors, what, 25%, but 40% if it's exclusive with just Audible. And then on top of that, what if it's a subscription service model? Makes it even more sticky to... Yeah, I I can imagine maybe you treat it like if authors had some type of union or have some type of collective bargaining power, they get paid per minute of read time. Mm. In a sense, like how many times it's been uh, actually played kind of like with what writers are doing and how writers used to be pl- paid a um you know revenue off how many reruns it's getting mm-hmm. maybe they do that but right now authors have no leverage or power so in, in summary then it could be good for readers if you can get some ownership and yeah. maybe it's cost effective there could be some problems that arise for authors and their pay mm-hmm. That's a fair assessment, and yeah. I'd say the bad thing for readers is if it does if it goes down that route of they could just take things off the platform, you can no longer listen to it. Yeah. So that lack of ownership is a big issue to address. Which Libro.fm, which seriously we're not sponsored by them. 
does yeah. address uh, that. We have an affiliate link. Yeah, we'll put that. We put uh, we went on their site and had that if you're interested. Yeah, if you're interested. But, but. Now, let's go on. This is now Daniel Green's fifth biggest warning to readers, the book industry. Here's what he has to say. Lose all my playlists. If you don't mind me switching over to my number yeah, five. Yeah, your number five. My most optimistic is my number five, and mm -hmm. it's the one that I'm more, the most sure on, and that is uh, we are going to be getting constantly more voices, and I love that in publishing. And I think that you know it's going to continue to grow because there are, contrary to what some people believe, still parts, major parts of the world that don't even have internet access. That's right. And so as soon as those places get more and more, mm -hmm. then you start getting, you know, I love the idea of getting someone who grew up in a place that's completely disconnected from Tolkien, who wants to write fantasy, never read Lord of the Rings. We get a fresh take on the genre. Ugh, what a stupid, optimistic, good point of view. <laughs> we, we, were here for, we were here for depressing takes, but Daniel Green gives a great point of, no, that's, that's definitely true. And I think that's very true of with how more accessible, in quotes, it is to publish now with getting a self-published. Of course, it's hard to get it, to have some momentum where a lot of books, I think most book marketing is word of mouth. Yeah, I think this is one of those things where it's good for the reader and bad for the author. With more voices? Yeah. Okay, because it's more competition is what you're saying? Well, exactly. It's now when you have just so many more options it means the platforms can now pay authors less and so it's hard to stand out well on the flip that's side that's good for readers they now have a variety of choices the best is really the best of the best okay but it'll be hard to find uh, on the flip something. side though having more voices or more opportunities to like have great books could broaden the amount of readers there are so with more voices comes more readers so, Possibly, so yeah. th think of us on YouTube and BookTube. We could have said, like, starting a BookTube, starting YouTube channel 2022, 2023, it's so saturated. How are we ever going to make a little drop in the whole ocean here with this? On one side, it's a lot harder, it's a lot easier to start because mm -hmm. so many people have done it successfully. But then on the negative side, it's like, oh, there's so many options. Like, how do we make our voice? How do we get attention? That, that's so, a really good point. So, yeah, you have you have both sides of where, yes, there will be more people doing it and to compete, but that allows, hey, more collaborations, more voices to elevate other voices, and then the larger readers slash viewers to support all those different voices. So It's, it's definitely a fallacy to think of the book reading community as yeah. a fixed pie. That yeah. some, something to think about is booktube in general is not one community. There's many different types of booktube like yep. in all that honestly don't interact that much. So if you consider manga part of booktube, manga it expanded the pie. It more readers became part of the booktube community with yeah. the explosion of manga in the west. Then you have the romance, the romance side of booktube. There's the uh, fantasy and sci-fi side that we do. There's the historical fiction there's the honestly just history history book too where they read they talk about uh dis different historical events there's a bunch of different sides that it, with the expansion of new voices and new types of stories to be told we could see another manga type explosion like let's say if um stories taking place within um indian indian uh mythology um, you know yeah. Over okay, we're in the West. Overseas Indian, Eastern. not Native American, but Native America could too. But e Eastern, I have read Eastern those books. books as yeah. Eastern books. Eastern. That's the point I'm making. Anyway, with the explosion of something like that as an example, mm. if that 
is it becomes a new genre yeah. that explodes in the West. You're, I don't know if it would particularly cannibalize the book community. It would expand it. Right. Just like manga has. Right. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And th- some of our favorite books that we've read, some of the cooler books for us, are, mm-hmm. hey, we've read a lot of these similar stuff. I'm loving, like, your Sword of Kaigans. Your, I think I finally said it right. Finally. Maybe. I always say it wrong. We're always saying it wrong. And it's Grace fine. and Kings, but books that we're not as familiar with that are only broadened because, oh, shoot, here's some authors, like a self-published book I've never heard of, but that gets elevated because all these other people word of mouth are talking about it, and they love it. And Yeah. So I, I agree with Dan Green's optimistic point, and I hope it gets a lot more negative after this because I don't I don't like what we just did. Don't there. like this positive. No. Yeah, let's but turn that upside down. Let's get let's get gloomy. Let's get let's, gloomy. All right. Richard and I are sponsored by Displate. If you don't know what they are, they are stainless steel metallic posters that you can put up anywhere in your house, office, and even better near your bookshelf. Oh yeah. Displate posters feature incredible collections from artists all over the world, featuring art from your favorite series, The Wheel of Time, Stormlight Archive, Lord of the Rings, and pretty much anything your heart desires. These posters are super easy to put up, as you can see Richard doing so wonderfully on screen. Every display comes with a paint-safe leaf that you just stick to the wall, and then you peel this foil off the back of a magnet, stick that magnet to the leaf that you just put on the wall, and boom, you put your display right there. With the holidays coming up, Displate is offering a 32% off your purchase of one to two displays using the code 2 to ramble And 38% off if you purchase three or more displays using the code 2 to ramble Go ahead. Do it. Use code 2 to ramble for 32 to 38% off while supplies last. Well, okay. The, they have a lot of supply. I, I, I don't think they're going to run out of supply. No, they got. I think they got a lot rich. No, while, while supplies, supplies last. <laughs> <laughs> Depression ensue. Here we go. This is Sanderson's fourth most biggest concern. We're Mm -hmm. getting there. Here you go, Sanderson. (laughs) Well, that's very optimistic compared to my number four, Mm, which is IP grabs. So I had an experience recently where I was talking to some people, and I'll I'll fuzz this a little bit to not uh, to not be embarrassing. But uh, people, someone was saying to me, they're like. You could, uh, you should start your own publishing industry, Brandon. And I'm like, well, you know, I have one. They're like, no, publish other people's books. And I'm like, well, that's a really difficult business. Uh, even great books don't always sell. In fact, oftentimes they don't. And, you know, you have this, it's just, there's, there's so many things. It's very difficult to make money at. And they're like, no, 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 just, uh, but then when their movies come out, you know, you, you can sell the movie rights. I'm like... <laughs> No, you don't understand how the publishing industry works. The publishers do not own the movie rights. They shouldn't. They make grabs for them, but they shouldn't. And 95% of contracts do not include the publisher owning the IP rights. And no author should ever sign away IP rights um, or movie rights or anything like that. And he goes on to say one thing, that the most important takeaway from this video. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he says in this section, never, if you're a new author, and sign any contract, never sell away your leather-bound rights, whatever that is determined. Don't your premium. S- yeah, your premium options. So not just your mass market and so forth, but don't sell away that premium exclusive edition you could sell. Because to make money as an author, this is all what Sanderson continues to say, to make money as an author, you can simply, if you have a 1,000 fans, dedicated fans, not even a huge amount, just a 1,000, 2,000 dedicated fans, and you need to make money because you're an author and you're writing books and the income isn't so consistent, you can make a leather-bound edition and sign it, make it super cool, really great that all your, your, your fans would just love it, and you could sell that for a premium price of like 100 bucks, and you could actually make a living wage 
by selling that because you get good margins on it and you put a lot of work into it. So your fans are willing to buy it and it works great. But if you give that IP away, if you give the rights to that away, you can never have that income that you would otherwise need if you're straining for cash. I think that's a great point. I didn't know that until he said in this video. No, he, he made a great point where he even talked about how Tor did not think that those things were worth it. And so when he went, he did sell. He had the premium book rights sold to Tor, and he wanted to do something with it. They weren't doing anything. And he said, um, I think they were only able to sell like a, a couple hundred or something of a premium leather bound with Wheel of Time. And yeah. so it didn't sell well. They gave him the rights to his leather bound and his premium book editions for free. Yeah. Just like gave it like, hey, it doesn't make money. It doesn't work. Here you go. Have it back for free. And then he sold like 50000 <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, a little different. Where it, it is kind of sad, though, that that's the direction that just writing the book is the potential future of it that Sanderson's getting at is that actually just writing a book and selling it is not going to make you money. That that is just exposure that you're writing a book exclusively for exposure mm. to then sell the actual profit, which is a fancy and a, In a lot of ways, YouTube is videos that don't make you a profit, but then eventually the merch will or this oh, yeah. will. So th well, very similar. It's a similar timeline where YouTube, in its more infancy, used to make YouTubers a lot of money just on the ad sets. They paid a much higher... Um, YouTube paid creators a lot more per ad because they're trying to get people to come to the platform. Mm. And so YouTubers just did that. They didn't do ad they didn't have sponsors. They didn't have all this other stuff. Yeah. Or at least they didn't have to. They some did. They didn't have to because they made plenty of money just on ad sets. And nowadays, like you cannot be a YouTuber and make money unless you're doing all these other things. And is that better for the consumer? I'll be honest, probably not. Because now as a consumer, you're watching YouTube. You're not only watching an ad because YouTube's making it. Then yeah. you also have to watch the YouTuber put in an ad in the video. That how, many, you really can't how many of our viewers skip. are just like, oh, when are they saying the Patreon thing? Let's get it over with. You know? Yeah, no. <laughs> I, but you have that. Yeah. Then it's, hey, check out my merch. Buy our t-shirt. Do this. Yeah. It's just so much. <laughs> I, and I, I, I am I'm <laughs> fearful to see that go for the book industry where you imagine you write a book mm -hmm. and you put it's you put baby. a whole year into this Ooh, and you go your thing. awesome. I put the whole year into writing this book. It's awesome. I'm gonna sell this book. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yay. I now have people I paid for exposure. Yeah, I can Ugh. I can afford a knitted sweatshirt. That's, <laughs> sweater. <laughs> that's just so gross. Uh, the numbers for Amazon and these other mm. publishers kind of insane to me of how much they take. Now, you give off the vibe on this podcast, mm -hmm. especially, I mean, your looks and your laugh. This very, hmm, if I was the owner, if I was Bezos. Yeah. I aspire. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna to get the margins right. <laughs> you, you aspire. What, would, what do you think you would do as the publisher, as the publishing industry? To fix that, well, if you were if you were benevolent and you weren't just trying oh, to get yeah. that profit, what would you do, Rich? You're in charge. Thing is, it's the difference between short term and long term gains. A lot of 
it depends. Sometimes these companies will have short-term goals. The short-term goal being you take advantage of your authors. You take mm. take them for everything they're worth. And if you have the power to do so, you take it. That You're going to see some short-term gains from it. However, you do that too much and you lose out on long-term potential. I think maybe an example of this could be animation. So, hi, one of, one of our patrons... You know who you are. Talk, talking with you about animation was very interesting. That Disney and um, a bunch of these other animation companies are pushing their animators like to the bone mm. on constant production and paying them less and less and less. And in the short run, profit. Same cool. with VFX artists, right? That's yeah. yeah. yeah that's that's kind of my whole point yeah, yeah. is they're pushing them to get to pay them less and less to get more and more. Right. In the short term, they get they make good profit out of it however long term that's not going to work out well you're getting a worse product you're disincentivizing people to go into the animation industry if it, you're paying less and less for it yeah so in the long run that's not going to work out well for you and or at the very least it pushes it overseas and now you get so if you're looking for long-term gains you need to support the people that make you money yeah don't treat your employees poorly yeah <laughs> is a is a pretty good motto if you want so to can you learn from that and like not treat me poorly yeah I'm, wait I'm, did i just I'm call myself the, wait we're a partner partnership i have to remember we're partner, <laughs> we're 50, god damn it why do i why do i forget that this it's is the bald head we're it makes this, you think that you're the employee i, I always think that sh- it's something the bald that, guy is always the boss i got that yeah it, sh- <laughs> it shows experience stress stress <laughs> is up there you, you know, know the it's the guy like, with the I don't need hair anymore. I'm no. I have power. <laughs> People have power don't need hair. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like that clipboard. You ever see those videos where people hold a ladder and can walk into movie theaters or can walk in anywhere because yeah. it shows that natural authority? Mm-hmm. It does. Something about being bald does show I have I have age, I have gone through life. I've given up things. Y- yeah. You sacrifice in life. Principally my hair. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, this is uh, what was po- that was point number four from Sanderson. So this is now point number four from Daniel Green. This is yeah. his fourth biggest concern. We'll get there. What's uh, your number four? My number four is I I, I don't want to say AI is all bad, but mm-hmm. I'm going to say AI is going to cause turbulence. It is going to be a something. I'm gonna let them keep talking on this because this this back and forth between them is really good. I want to bring up a point Sanderson says here. Sure. That shakes things up. Granted, in some ways it's gonna be good because people who cannot afford an editor, for example, can now go to AI and have it tell them, hey, this is spelled wrong. And mm-hmm. that's good. I like people who don't have resources getting resources. That first point is something that's, I didn't I didn't, I didn't think too much about that, but that is an amazing point. That's huge. An yeah. editor costs a ton of money yes especially for a fledgling a fledgling author and a big reason why there's a negative connotation with self-published books mm. is mostly like they normally can't afford afford, a, yeah. a, afford an editor right same thing of like an indie movie versus a huge budget movie like you just you expect yeah. a certain quality i yeah. i'll be honest like there's i picked up a couple self-published books where i'm like man if this was just ran through an editor like a it just needs a good editor, and this would pop. Right. But there's so many little mistakes that it's grading, and it yeah, gives this not really great finish. But AI is usually given this big overseeing, oh, the AI is coming. Mm-hmm. And you don't think about, of course, technology as it improves helps people with less resources. 
naturally yeah. over time. It does. And so I want to let them keep going because the points they make back and forth. Here, here we go. Mm -hmm. This is the same AI conversation. There's also a flip side of that where it's art theft. There's things along those lines going on. And so it's this perpetual balance and conversation. And it's like when electricity became a thing and so many people had these crazy worries that didn't pan out. Some nope. of those worries did pan out. We just are at a point where we don't have the foresight to know what the real problems, what the real change are going to be. Yeah, this is going to depend on a couple of things. Yeah. Uh, the first one is going to be uh, on whether or not AI is an emergent technology that is just going to get better, or if this is the new crypto or the new uh, NFTs where it was really exciting right. for a while, but then the amount of progress we're able to do with our current level of technology has basically been hit, and the future increments are so small that the public loses interest, yes. and it takes another 10 or 15 years before this actually you know, turns into something that is really market-shaking. Mm -hmm. What do you uh, and think I don't know which, uh, AI is in? Do you think it's in the NFT era or is it in the like electricity type? Is it is it actual emergent technology or is it going to be a fad? I will I'll summarize the point Sanderson's about to make. Okay. Um, and this is a we've had an AI talk on our channel before, but I very much agree with Sanderson mm -hmm. on the th this is my take with AI. And I'll answer you. I'm going to circumnavigate back to your answer. So with with AI and writing. The big concern is, will AI take over and be able to write books better than authors can? Will it take away jobs from authors and so forth? So one of the points that Sanderson makes, his, his roommate was Ken Jennings. Mm -hmm. And he says this in this video. He says his roommate was Ken Jennings. And Ken Jennings is one of the most successful Jeopardy contestants of all time. He was like number one or two, one of those, and made a ton of money. Smart, really smart guy, of course. And Sanderson makes a point that, well, AI can do Jeopardy better than a human can. You can go and get a, a computer to answer questions better than Ken Jennings ever can and ever will. And one thing that I can relate to in that is chess, because I'm a huge chess fan, I play chess. So growing up, I, it was a big deal that ch a, a, ch a computer back in the 90s, okay, I'm not that old, but I, when I was learning and studying chess, I would look back and go, oh wow, a computer, it's called the Deep Blue, beat, um, oh my goodness, it's, I'm blanking on his name. Um, Kasparov beat beat Kasparov, the chess master, grandmaster, best in the world, and that was a huge deal. Like, oh my goodness, AI is taking over. And now mm -hmm. today, computers can beat any chess player. Yeah, it's over. It, you Stockfish. If you go Stockfish, there's there's Alpha something something, but all these computers can destroy you at chess. But chess is bigger than it ever was. Chess is more popular than it ever was. You have Magnus Carlsen, you have Hikaru, a big streamer, you have all these chess players because humans aren't interested in watching a computer be perfect. Humans are more pro-human than we think. We, so when, whether you're watching Jeopardy, you want to watch a human answer these questions. You like the story behind it. You want to watch chess player that's mm -hmm. actually human beating somebody in chess. So that whole point of Sanderson is less afraid that even, even to the point where if AI somehow gets better at, um, at writing books than, than humans ever can, there's still the hope that, well, We've dealt, the other industries, this is Sanderson's point, other industries have dealt with technology becoming better than humans, and we're still okay. So it's more of that optimistic take of even though AI is this big deal and it will change, I think I'm in, here to answer your point then of am I more thinking it's the light bulb or what? So I think AI isn't just a fad, it's gonna get better, and mm -hmm. it's gonna get better in every industry. It already has practical yeah. uses today that people are using. Yes, exactly. So it's it's not just a fad. It's, it's going to continually evolve. I think that we're off with some of our timeline predictions. 
significantly. I don't think that AI in writing is anywhere near what we think it could be. Um, I like go on ChatGPT or any of these things and try to make it come up with a sentence. What what AI is good at right now is summarizing, outlining things, and getting just they could give you ideas too because they're combining things from the web of going like, hey, give me ten thumbnail ideas for this or do mm-hmm. summarize this book for me because it already has the content. It does it so well and instantly. But to create something, I think it could it could get there. I don't know. I'm not going to make a prediction on that. Even if it does, I'm hopeful. And when it does, I think I, I do not think we'll be around to see the day where AI becomes better than like Sanderson is at writing a new story. I don't mm. think may, again, maybe it will happen one day, but I just think it's so far away from where we're currently at. That's me being optimistic, stupid Austin, but bring me back I, to reality, Rich. I think the optimism timeline, fair enough. Yeah. I think it will get there though. That all even when you're an actual author, you are just taking thing. You are taking your ideas and stories that came before, and you are remixing them, for the most part. Anytime he's like, "Oh, this is an original book idea." Original how? I mean, a lot of books take a lot from a previous stories. That's what AI does. You make it a bit more sophisticated. You add in consistency with names, what character arcs work. I think it. AI will get to the point where it is as good or better than traditional authors. The difference between AI authors and I would say something like chess is there's a personality to behind chess that people watch the game and they enjoy that. The, f- the fear that I would have is when there's a difference of when you're enjoying chess. One, you don't make money playing chess either. Like th- Those people are poor. They're real poor. Unless you're <laughs> Unless like you're number one, one <laughs> and two. Those people. The but good thing is streamers now that you're able to stream chess, you're able to get into there. But yeah. But that's you. Ha- you have to prove that you are the face to it, and mm. it's an interaction. With a book, how easy is it for he to put a fake author's name on it, and then people think it's a person, and at that point, you're not. You don't know that you're not interacting with. An actual human. Well, I say we've already dealt with that as well with hmm. Christopher Paulini and his new book that came out and how we the people found out it was AI generated. Because there are, mm-hmm. as AI advances, so will AI detectors and so forth. It's going to be a balance on both both ends. So when people realized that and went, oh my goodness, you're not supporting an actual, right, um, actual artist, was a huge deal of support artists yeah. and making it a point of yes so for example the ai art that um the ai that daniel green's talking about of how it can benefit people who can't afford so if you can't afford a big mm-hmm. uh, a, a big artist or so forth maybe that's more of a use case but someone like christopher paulini who i don't think knew and the publisher didn't know so it wasn't and it wasn't intentional and even that it was mostly a like i i get it Mo- even artists today use stock uh, mm. stock images and then build upon build upon it like you look at any movie poster and there's like a shark in the background that's a stock image of a shark that they like edit yeah, you're combining things and, yeah. and all they did with this one is someone sold a stock image to that was ai what, generated that right? was ai generated yeah. and then they used that mm. it's not really the art the the person in tour i don't think it's their fault really mm. there's maybe some finer details of like hey maybe he should have known because but that's beside the point right the main thing that I, th- I think we're going to run into is people care now. But in how long do we have to go 
for people to not really care about AI's usage. So when people start, they'll just, hey, the book's a book. It's good. I like the story. And that's it. And it doesn't even have to okay. come already for authors. The margins are close. Like we're talking about how authors get paid less and less. Now you add in, say, 30. 30% of the market is now AI books. And companies can now go, well, hey, Mr. Author, like there's there's X amount of authors. Why not Mrs. Author? I'm thinking Sanderson. I'm saying think. Mrs. <laughs> Just putting you on a spot. Off, author person. Hey, women could be doctors too, you know. No, they can't. <laughs> That's impossible. <laughs> they can't. In, they're only nurses. That's the only only thing. only bald men. <laughs> can. No, no, no. If we go by Grey's Anatomy, it's yeah. men with luscious hair. Attractive men. Attractive men yeah. with like a little tinge of gray in their hair. And those nice, are doctors. nice sparkly eyes. Yeah. Exactly. I've I've learned a lot from television. It's that I'm not good enough. <laughs> that's that's what we've learned. So anyway, but your your point, yeah. If already the margins are not great for authors, mm. you add in that AI can also do uh, books just as good. It doesn't have to completely take over to make being an author very incredibly difficult and just not worth it monetarily was. And we go to in something like chess where. No author writes for a living. That it's just not an industry to make a living on. It's something for fun. Well, chess, people are making more of a living than they ever were. With streaming, sure. Well, not just that. Like, even chess is way bigger because of the attention it has. Like, chess today is way more feasible. It's still very hard to make it in chess. But just because the attention it's gotten and the publicity, shows like Queen's Gambit really helped the Mm. invention of streaming. So... I, th- I think there's between now and the point that if it does ever become better than writers. Well, it, yeah, go ahead. you're right on it's a change, though. Mm. So authors could be very easily left behind if they think it's good enough to just write the book and be done. They're not going to make money. Like in the future, I don't think that's going to make money. There's going to be way too many other voices. There's going to be AI that's producing content as well that if you just write the book and then release it, you're not going to do well. What you have to do is actually connect with the audience. You have to have that parasocial relationship with chess. You can't just play chess and go on tournaments. You have to stream. You have to get a connection with an audience. I mean, a lot of people have talked about how this is the attention age, mm. that the where money comes from is attention. And how do you gain? However you can gain attention, that's where the money is. And so just writing a book is not going to gain you attention. You have to do more, like Sanderson does himself. And he does it the best. He does great. But people like Sand. I still think there's a face behind. So a, a book that you love reading. How excited were we to go see Pierce Brown? How excited are you to go see those people that put their soul behind this book and actually wrote it? And there's a personal connection to to that person. Also, between now and I also do question if AI can become better. That because quote unquote better. The, the problem with saying better or worse in writing. Yes, there are certain qualities and standards of writing, but there is no objective standard like there is with chess. With chess, with Jeopardy, there's an objective true. There is, this is right, this is wrong. So when you look at a, a chess game can be done either perfectly or less perfectly. There is a perfect way to play, a closer to perfect way to play. There is a perfect answer in Jeopardy because you got it right. With mm-hmm. writing, there's more 
there's more gray area of, yes, you know you're greats. You know when you see great pros, and you can you know what really gets you going. But if you ask somebody, like, hey, what's your favorite movie? And they answered Mamma Mia. Like, Mamma Mia, are, is it, you know, is it better good than... Good movie. Right, yeah, it's good. It's fun. <laughs> but better than, like, you know, your Schindler's Lists, your There Will Be Blood, that stuff. So people have different tastes. So... I think that's the point is AI could get really good of you feed it out, feed it enough data and it could cater to people's tastes and be like, Hey, you search up. I want a fantasy that has this type of character that does this and it generates it in an you. abstract of the perf. There is no, the perfect book. Mm. However, there's a lot of tropes and character arcs. When you dive down into a certain genre and category, I can think of a, Certain characters, like the redemption arc character, how to write a redemption arc, how to write a um, tragic villain, how to write all of these things. You can, humans can get down pretty formulaic with writing. So, like someone like um, James Patterson, good author, good author. However, he's got a formula for writing. I'm pretty sure an AI could do him. Like AI can make a Today? James Patterson book. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like it doesn't. I don't think it would be. Well, let's add him in the comments difficult. down below. Everyone, add well, no, James like, the main thing is everything is there. There's so many James. Pa- he's written a bunch of books, and everyone knows like it's like an episode of TV for books. It's very episodic. Right. AI could probably do that pretty darn well. You extrapolate that out of. Okay, AI, write a fantasy romance featuring a pirate and a princess and make sure the pirate is this whatever. You but again, feed it these but details again, sometimes, and it Here's will the thing. It. Sometimes people don't even know what they want. So if you're feeding details as, as a reader, mm-hmm. Sanderson and other authors have created things that I didn't know I wanted. Like how can I creatively input something for the AI to actually generate it still will take a level of, hey, if Sanderson's creating Stormlight Archive, which has concepts and world building and plot points that are infeasible to me, I could have never thought of it. Mm-hmm. So when you're inputting that, you have to know, the AI cannot generate something that could come from the human mind, as in you will never have the identical story because there are infinite possibilities in your head of what to create. So you will always get something from a human author that the AI just cannot do. Maybe you could do something different your point of when authors are creating things that n- people didn't know they wanted. Yeah. The the counter to that is AI has time on its side where it can produce way more in a much shorter amount of time than an author can. So it can try a whole lot of things before an author. So an author takes, let's say, a year to write a book. Right. Big, big old fantasy chonker. Mm-hmm. They got one, one book a year where AI could try how many hundreds in a year and figure out which one worked and through audience testing, figure out, oh, hey, new combination of things that no one ever really tried before, but it's a new combo of different concepts and that works. And sure, it doesn't have the creative ability of as an author, you are thinking how the reader thinks and then you are thinking how you would enjoy it and you can you could do a better job with less, less chances. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. 
Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You will do a better job in five books than an AI does in a hundred. But AI could do thousands. Thousands and thousands trying it out. I think they're you're just a it's a numbers game. They're gonna they're gonna hit they're gonna hit the jackpot more often because they can but run you it. need well, you need reader testers to be able to see if it was the right story as well. Yeah. So a version of where AI would you, there would be a job. A new well, no, job will be created where you have to have like readers are paid to read certain stories to see if they're good or not that are generated from the AI. You kind of already have that. In what way? You have reader testers that work for publishing right. houses that they read things and test it's like, hey, is this even worth sending right, it? Right, on? but the difference being this would be like for an AI generated thing. Sure. Yeah. But even then, publish the book. You have to pay the author. It's an AI. Publish it, see if it does well. well does it do well? No. Nope. Well, Who again, knows? goes back to the where we probably disagree the most of the person behind the book of where an AI being spread word of mouth, having no face behind it, someone that actually didn't write it is going to get the, the marketing alone and the pull behind wanting to read that story versus wanting to read this author that I know wrote this, that I love and support is where that human element will come in because the AI story that's generated in like, Oh, here's AI volume 2078 version three that I'm going to publish out there, and then no one's really reading it. Uh, you don't see any... The, the reason we read books is your friend read it and loved it, or mm-hmm. you see a review, and they really talked highly of it. And it's pers- So finding, fi- getting to that AI that's really good, and again, what is really good, what is better than something else, there's so many gray areas. Maybe we'll agree. The main that, thing, yeah. I think it is naive to think it'll have no... Imp- where authors are just going to come out on top on it. I don't think so. It, it already, authors okay. in the industry, we're talking about how it's hard to make a living as an author now. Imagine AI is pretty darn close. And there's a lot of people that, sure, maybe you have that small percentage of people that are su- your super fans. They, lo- they want to come out to your event. They want to do that. Behind that group of people is a bunch of people that just liked the story and enjoyed it. They picked it up because, 
hey, that's a cool cover. Let me read it. Hey, that was a fun story. I want to read the next one. They don't care. They You ask them, hey, who's the author? Eh, I don't know. They, they just read it. And that pays for it. So, yeah, maybe the real author will have those super fans. And AI will never have that, those super fans to it. Mm. But they'll, be pre- they'll have enough. They'll have an audience. I, I think that's the, the more serial books like James Patterson does. People don't, like I, I've talked to my dad where he's like, he doesn't, they don't see it as, oh, I'm going to pick up that James Patterson book. No, I'm going to pick up that Alec, the next Alex Cross novel. That's the character. They want to follow the next. They just like that character in that storyline. Mm. AI, I think, can do that. And maybe they, maybe AI well, won't today, have the super Do you think fans. they can do that? Oh, will. Not well, today. Yeah, you're right. Maybe we, we, we're not, I think we agree with we the, may not we agree with the timeline because I'm, I'm very much in the camp that uh, everything, th- what I'm saying with the possibility of it, of mm-hmm. why I think authors will still not just exist but prosper, and why I think that humans will, because we've seen it happen in other industries. My, my entire point is that other industries have dealt with this. And authors, I, I agree with you, it would be naive to think it won't change things. It will change things in some significant direction. How that will who knows? A lot of unpredictable elements will happen. But I don't think it's going to go away. I'm, I'm curious on this. Of, I actually really loved Hyperion's point of this. Hyperion actually... Yeah, tackles this exact problem, mm-hmm. and I, I just find it really fascinating that we need to have a conversation later about because we're only on what point four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> should have an, uh, another AI episode. The, we're going too much into this. AI. Let's yeah. let's move on to another yeah, yeah. topic. But okay, I, we we are agreement on maybe timeline. Like we're we may not see it in our lifetime, but I think it may be close. It's closer than okay. we think. I think it's farther than we think. That's where we disagree. And I, I'll add the caveat of I'm very. Hey, I will be proven wrong in time. Like this video, you can look back in all of history and be like, Austin, you were so dead wrong. Mm-hmm. But my point being that I don't think I'm like 99% sure that AI in the first place won't be able to get to the level an author can. Mm-hmm. I, I'll disagree with you on that one. There we go. And nine, hey, there, there's that room for movement, but we'll see. Well, let's have All another right. episode on AI. <laughs> Man, we, we rambled on that one. Okay. Is this point four from Daniel? Let's see what point this is. Three. My number three, number three which is Daniel. just kind of a catch-all. What I think a lot of these things are going to do is they're going to push royalties down for authors. The reason for this, okay. again, doom and gloom, I hope this isn't the case, but the reason for this being that I think um, what's going on is a lot of the companies that are really powerful right now don't value the individual author voice and don't value the art of the story. They see the purpose of books as something else. Uh, as I said, uh, comic books are, are seen as R&D for, for films, which you can, which films in some ways are R&D for selling a whole bunch of merch, <laughs> right? The problem with royalties. Yeah, which I think we did touch on a bit from. Yeah, the adding point. more voices means, you know, supply and demand. Simple economic principles of if there is more, you pay less per. You know what? I'm noticing a pattern now. Hmm. That whole conversation we just had in this one, you are that Bezos personality. Yes, AI will take over the writers, and I will, <laughs> I will spread more. We will make more money and get rid of the human. Get rid of human, I Bezos. So uh, royalties, you have paid less money from me. <laughs> See, I'm, 
I believe that that's the future. Yeah. And I don't like it. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the difference. Well, I like putting you in that hole. Sure. Of, I like thinking that's what you think. That's going to get clipped. <laughs> <laughs> but we brushed at this point. I want to go to Daniel Green's point number three, since yeah. we don't want to reiterate what we said already. Okay, Daniel Green's point number three that he's concerned about for publishing. Right. Yeah. What's what's your number three? Uh, my number three is something I think is actually going to be creatively interesting, and that is the way we think of traditional genres for science fiction, mm, fantasy, yeah. melting away. Not mm -hmm. only because we're having stories like I'll even argue Sunlit Man, which we'll be talking about soon, was yeah. sci fantasy, yeah. and it's it's something that even in that way can be kind of hard to pigeonhole because is it right. epic sci fantasy? What is this? And I think we're going to see uh, more and more of that traditional Tolkien way of looking at fantasy go away, which I don't think is necessarily a good or bad thing. I love that we had those stringent lines for so long where, you know, oh, you're a sci-fi writer, you're not a fantasy writer. So genres melting away. Do you think that will happen where we're seeing a lot in recent fantasy genre, in the fantasy genre, there's more subgenres now. Of the, okay, there's not just fantasy, there's grimdark fantasy. There's... I was gonna make another bold joke. I won't. I'll say it, but there's there's grimdark fantasy. There's your um, oh Napoleonic, your flintlock fantasy, there, yeah. which are new emerging genres that are just so specific and narrowed down. That what do you call this book if it's also fantasy and sci-fi and there's romance in there? What is that? So on two ends, I, they make this point on the reason why we have genres in the first place mm -hmm. is because of publishers and mainly bookstores market marketing yeah it's how do you market this book on a now here's something marketing principles wise it is not very good to have infinite choices you do not sell something well if you give them it's the whole um, there's more famous marketing problem of pasta sauce where pasta sauce is used to like there's all these different types and chunky spicy flip all this different stuff mm -hmm. and they weren't selling very well and they thought, what's the new flavor that we could do that will sell? Found out, actually, you don't need more choices. You need to eliminate choice. And people needed, I think, what was four sauces. You need just normal, original. You need chunky. And then you need spicy. And I think that was actually it. Then Now, three, three choices. And it, they all sold way better. Now, with the introduction of more sub-genres and different things. Maybe that, I, I don't know. On paper, I would think that would do worse. Is that it's really hard to market a super niche type. If you start where there are no genres anymore, yeah. that everything is just so hyper-precise. I don't know how you market that. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, it does come down to that. Like, hey, if I want to read uh, fiction versus nonfiction, that's your first start. Do you want something that's based on real events or do you want something that's completely false? I think that's a, you have to deviate that. And then from there you deviate into do you want something that's more YA? You've got to know if, hey, if I'm, if I'm 15 looking for a book, I don't necessarily want to read Dostoevsky. Hey, maybe you do. Maybe you're smarter than me when I was 15. But when I was 15, <laughs> I was looking for, like, give me Percy Jackson Volume 20. That's what I wanted. Yeah. And so it is because two readers to find the thing they want, again, going back into your own search terms. So when you walk into a library, less so now, but when you go online and you want this type of book, you still need those labels. Yes. And so here's a two things that I think work together but on the surface don't sound like they do. Mm -hmm. There's the phrase that like people don't know what they want. Uh, Jeff Bezos talked about like we're 
Uh, not Jeff. Be- uh, Steve Jobs. Wait. I, I know. Ah, I've gotten you. <laughs> you got in my He's... head. But Steve Jobs, I was like, Bezos. you don't know what the the public don't know what they want. Yeah. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna show them what they want. And then also the goal. The <laughs> it works. It but works. The goal. And then the idea that you have to make something that find people's that people want to discover what they want to know. Right. So my guess is you kind of have two lanes. Mm. The best thing for publishing and the whole marketing of a book is you use computer algorithms, you use AI, you use this wealth of data to figure out, hey, what are people reading? And then connect that with what they read next, what else to the people who like this, like other Do things. Do what YouTube does. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. And so yeah. when you go to click, like, hey, I, you're on Goodreads or you're on a rating site, the Rambler rating site, maybe. It's coming. In the future. Oh, it's coming. Probably a year down the line, but <laughs> several. <laughs> Coding's hard. <laughs> anyway, when you rate the Way of Kings, up sh- up po- should pop like, "Hey, here's or here are books that are in- would interest you." Mm. And you go further into how did you rate it? Not just like, "Oh, you read this, now read this." It's more who rated this book. A seven out of ten. Who rated this book a six out of ten? Who's that cycle and that rated a seven point eight five? That would be the Rambler Raiders. And connect <laughs> and then those web people. Yes, and then not only one to one books, but people who liked this also liked these other books. Mm-hmm. And now what did you also like? Hey, you have a strong overlap of not just the one book, but multiple books, and could filter people to better things. So that's the one way for marketing wise, you give people way less choice. And just show them what they want. The other side of it is if you want to eliminate the, you want to give people a lot of choice without overwhelming them, is hyper keywords. And so you basically the breakdown of any traditional genre. Right. And it's more just grimdark or um, the underdog or sci fantasy, just different keywords that pique your interest. Yeah. Fair point there. And let's go into Sanderson's number two concern. We're on number two for me. So all this is can contribute to a trend that this is a very safe one on my part because it's been the trend for the last 20 years. More and more difficulty launching as a new voice. Yes. Now, as you've pointed out, okay. more people are publishing books and more voices are available out there. But that it has never been harder to launch as a new author than it is now. That's so we talked about this in our second point of his. Yeah, his point being, the more people there are, the harder it will be to get seen. Well, we talked about this close to over a over a year ago when we yeah. first started this channel. Well, exa- exactly the point. Of the reason why uh, one of the key reasons we started this channel was you were starting to write your book, mm. and it was like. The, one of the best ways that we make sure that your book does well is having a platform of which we can show right. it. That if we just, if you just wrote the book and then like tried to release it, it just wouldn't go. And anywhere. you're writing your book eventually. <laughs> when I have the, but that's the thing. If we build the platform first, mm. we now have the audience. It is much. It would be much easier for us at a certain level. Yeah. Um, to, hey, if we have we have aspirations to, if we ever want to do a publishing company, or if we want to have a, we love like many reasons we started this too was the Rambler rating. Mm-hmm. We had this thing and we liked reviewing books a certain way. Of hey, if we ever want to make our own rating site, we can't just make the rating site and then we have to have 
yeah. something behind that to market it and something that. But this would be the way we. Yeah. Your you launching a book will have a lot more success even now than if you did it without a channel like this. Mm. So that is the way to launch things. Right. I actually saw on um, YouTube and TikTok all those things where uh, this woman started a book talk channel, and she's an author. It's the main thing, like, but she's doing little skits and doing mm. things and promoting her book, and it's definitely the right way. She didn't just write a book. She's doing skits. She's creating yeah. a platform and then also to, pu- to promote her own thing. Yep. It's kind of what we want to do eventually. Yeah, and the that whole point of new voices making it, his points that it'll be more difficult. Yeah. So, yes and no. Again, going back to our previous point, of I agree that there's going to be more competition, but on the flip side, there's going to be more people interested in that niche topic because at the same at the same time, I like think of something that's so niche, like okay, basketball is not as niche. I was thinking pickleball, but think basketball. Okay, basketball in the early 1900s, or when I think it was even invented after that. But basketball as a sport was way easier to become a professional basketball. Ah. So you get what I'm saying? It's <laughs> yeah. w- well, it's way easier to become a professional basketball player because there's so few basketball players. People don't know what the hell it is. So mm-hmm. you could become a professional basketball player. Like, you're there. That's you. Let's go. Um, but as basketball gets bigger and bigger and bigger, the competition's wider. Just like the, the author market is wider. So it's going to be way harder to be now today's basketball players. Oh, God. I need to be a genetic freak. I need to be 6'10". I need to ha- think highly of myself and get over this. Like, man, Richard's comments have really gotten to me. Maybe I should really build some self-esteem. Like, you got to yeah. get over some hurdles before you can become a basketball player. True. <laughs> <laughs> no, literal hurdles. You need literal to grow, hurdles. grow some feet, and it's much harder to become a basketball player. So, yes, that's true. And, but and, but yeah, who's but, the one that benefits the most? The, the, consumer, the consumer always benefits in this because mm-hmm. now we get – Better basketball to watch. Yes. More stories to read and so forth. Yeah. And then, but what I think is the unintentional thing that big basketball becoming, you know, basketball becoming a huge sport, maybe it's harder to become a basketball player. So his point of it's maybe it's become harder to become, you know, the big authors like Sanderson, like Tolkien, like all these people, it's harder to become them. But what basketball being big does is think of everything you do now. There's gamers who play basketball um, and you could watch them streaming. There are basketball analysts who can now analyze basketball, make a job off of that, and be like, here's the stats, here's all this stuff, however the sports stuff works. <laughs> I'm pretending I'm you. <laughs> You're, you love your sports ball, right? Those who can't do, teach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and maybe, ba- hey, backyard, just playing, you could be a streamer playing normal basketball. You could, if anyone knows the professor, they're street ball players. We can't write the, books yet, so we, we talk about you that talk about <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it might be harder to if you're an author to become the top dog, but what it might not be as hard to do is when you write a story. Hey, there's more people are literate. That's a good thing that things have done. That's so generally your op- good. Your opportunities have brought in that way. Maybe you're not going to be a Sanderson Tolkien, but you being an author like this, now you can te- teach uh, teach other people. Hey, here's how to write a story. I've written one. There's just different avenues that'll be open. So I would guess I'm I am a natural optimist. And I like to be proven wrong. In the you last. want you want things to go badly. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm, no an, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an optimist <laughs> by by trade. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I 
passionately want the world to go bad. That's not what I meant, but I like the way you took it. <laughs> just I, I'm a natural optimist, and I here's what I think. I, I do those things with my own life, for mm-hmm. example. I just take this practical way of thinking about things where forget the outside things. Think, think in your personal life. If you're constantly thinking like things will get bad, it's mm-hmm. a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, think, then things will get bad. If you don't believe in yourself, if you think that the only option is the negative, then you're setting yourself up for failure. I think the the better attitude towards it is only, uh, you would agree with this, obviously, the more stoic point of view of events don't change you, your reaction to them do. You have you have agency, you have responsibility, you can make choices that affect your actual life. So I take yeah. that mindset and just think in the broad scope of the world. Yes, things are changed, they're inevitable, some things are outside your control, but it is better to be the force and that optimistic force for things will be good. And it's, I guess it's better to be proven wrong than be proven right in this case. Because mm-hmm. if you are always thinking it's going to be bad, like this is bad, this bad thing's going to happen, what that does to your psyche and what that does to your hope for if things could ever be good, you're almost setting the world up for failure in a sense. I would rather have, I would rather have a world full of optimists that are proven wrong than a world full of pessimists that are proven right. That's my point. Sure. I, I do agree with you on that, and the main thing is it's good to look out for problems and s- yeah. what are the what are the plays on the board? What What is most likely to happen? And then take the optimist approach of what can you do about it? That's the it. The things exactly. that – that's the positive thing. Yeah. It's what can you do? And that's a good thing. So for us, we realize with publishing, hey, it's going to be real hard to publish a book in today's landscape like if we just write it like where the hell do we give it to but i don't know there's so many books out there how the hell would we market our own book now mm. well y'all come hey let's make a platform that way we can launch our book from. in the same way too it's like easier to self-publish a book it's easier to do so i, I think broadening so i guess i s- slightly agree and disagree with what sanderson's saying yeah and there's there, there's there's it's going here's the thing yeah. it's if you look at it negatively it's it's going to be harder to do things how it's always been done. Yeah, that is certainly true for the people who do not yes. want to change, who do yes. not like uh, the for the people who like how it is. Mm-hmm. It's going to be bad for them because it will change. It will change, and if they keep doing the same thing, it's going to be bad. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But and who's that's, this? It, yeah. that's important to see. Going, okay. Yep. So this is bad. This. Yes. If I keep doing it this way, that's going to be bad. Adapt. What can I do? And. Often, sometimes those adaptations are maybe not as best, but it's the best thing you can do. Right. But yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. But we're, we're on a similar page there. Yeah, generally. Then let's go to Daniel Green's second point, and then we're going to get to their top one, their biggest okay. concern about the book industry. So here's Daniel Green's second point. If you don't mind, this ties into yeah. my, my number two yeah. very well, which mm-hmm. is just like marketing is unsustainable right now. I, mm-hmm. Every indie author I talk to, and I talk to a lot of them, they talk yeah. about how they're trying to game the system. Yeah. That is their entire approach. They is, have to. They have to. We were just touching on this. Yeah. Of, <laughs> hey, in order to, if you want to publish a book, you have to have a platform, or you should have a platform. You should adapt, and the things we're just talking about. Of oh yeah, we haven't. So something for us, we haven't paid for ads to promote our YouTube channel, no. which people used to do far more often, and putting up Facebook ads or putting even YouTube ads mm-hmm. and paying for those to get people on. Where personally, I think why do that when? TikTok and YouTube Shorts exist. Well, also that's they're quite literally paying us to advertise our own thing. They're yeah. basically 
not just free, but the ads are paying us. Yeah. Why not do it? Why not? And again, with that adapting. So marketing is unsustainable for authors. What are you just saying? What we did when we first created our channel, um, you know I did this. For like the first three months or four months of our channel when we're getting no viewers and we're trying to get – so, of course, we're posting shorts. Sometimes that's not enough. So I would go on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, anywhere I could, and I had messages kind of typed up of – Whatever the topic was, if we just reviewed Batman or if it just came out, I would go on Twitter. It was Twitter at the time, not X. And I would search term Batman movie. And people that were just talking about the Batman movie, I would go to their profile, DM them, basically saying, I saw you watch the Batman movie. Oh, my goodness. We thought similar or different, whatever their tweet was, and go like, how about you check out our review? You might like or whatever it is. So I'd message that person that watched Batman or I'd go to if we did a review on avatar the anim- uh, animation of an, mm-hmm. and versus remember we did that early yeah. on and go like oh what are people that are interested in and just spam dm all these people <laughs> and out of those a thousand i think we got zero <laughs> but, but no we got some we, like very yeah. few but it's just that little bump you need in the marketing to eventually okay we have enough people who are a little bit credible and now maybe these people will start paying attention and then again, you look back at our old videos, it's like, why did people watch? The nature of marketing is ex- exclusivity. Yeah. That you're fight that if you, if everyone's doing the same thing, then everyone loses. It's the people who win in marketing are people who are standing out from the crowd. Yeah. It whoever figures out the new angle who and that new angle works because Left, not that many people are doing it. Right. As soon as everyone's doing it, it's time to kick in the towel. And yeah, that is the again. Which the more I'll be honest, I think shorts are kind of getting that direction. It's almost that I. It's still worth it now. Like there's still a lot there, but I think within probably one to two more years, so, hey, everyone, something will change. It's gonna change because maybe everyone. Everyone and their mother is doing different shorts for all their different marketing tools. Every YouTube channel is now getting on board with that. All companies are now putting out shorts for their movies. And, and it's, worked, it's, it's worked so well for it's us. It's working now. But then you have to adapt with the times. It's because going to change. The, the point of marketing being harder, it's what, unfeasible? Is that what Daniel Green said for, yeah. for new authors coming into the business? It's Ye- unfeasible it's, for the old system. Yes. So... Again, that's the more not doom and gloom point of it. Of it, it, things you can't do things like you did twenty years ago. Obviously, mm-hmm. the good thing is if you can adapt, if you can do like, what's the best way to be visible now. All of those things. You, you think sort of Kagan? Uh, I think Kagan is a great example of the publicity he got as a self-published book and that snowball effect from technologies today that would have never sort of Kagan maybe not would have been popular 20 years ago or certain books that would never have gotten a look because shorts didn't exist this didn't exist this you couldn't spread the word like that so again it's technology goes both ways that's, that's sure. the point of it do you want me to shut up and go to the next one go ahead I got I, I, whatever you whatever Richard says sure it means Hurry the hell up, Austin. It's just <laughs> so we'll go to the next one. This one is from this is Sanderson's number one point is number one concern about the book industry and for you readers out there. My number one is that the publishing industry will not change unless forced to. Oh yeah. The publishing industry is not good at evolving and innovating. And this is again kind of doom and gloom in that 
they really should have picked up on some of these things. Some ways it's good for us yeah. in that they haven't figured out how to steal our IP successfully. <laughs> uh, so what do you think about that point of the publishing industry won't change unless forced to? I completely agree with Sanderson on this one. Mm. One, this is an advantage for authors who are really, really trying hard and keen on the business side of things. Now, yeah. not all authors are that way. And that's rough for them. But someone like Sanderson benefits because the publishing industry is not with the times. Not the same way Sanderson is. Sanderson is able to both market and monetize his novels in a way that the traditional publishing industry just hasn't figured out yet. And because they didn't figure it out, he benefits and profits massively. If Tor Mm -hmm. was already on on the ball for figuring out, like, social media to be able to go out to good authors and go, Hey, look, we're going to send you camera equipment to make sure, Hey, try out these. We're going to send us somebody to help you with a YouTube channel. Hey, we're going to publish your, uh, we're going to start working on more merch and have it sell, sell your merch for your novel or your premium editions and how working on that. If Tor was on the ball with this, then authors would do well, but they wouldn't, see the lion's share of the profit i've seen sanderson's house in videos it's awesome oh my goodness oh boy i'm real jealous (laughs) (laughs) you see his movie theater room oh it's awesome that is because the publishing industry is not with it also he's he's selling a ton of stuff he's a huge author and the the point of unless forced to he says publishing industry change won't change unless forced to that could come with the whole analogy everybody uses with Blockbuster versus Netflix. The publishing industry could be Blockbuster, and that Netflix will arise to take every cent from that publishing industry. The new publishing industry, the new way to watch movies will will form. And, hey, maybe that's what aud- audiobooks are pushing things in a new direction. But the forcible change isn't like, hey, a law has to be decreed to force the publishing industry to change. It's more so yeah. they will either be forced to change or die. Yeah. And right now, the publishing industry is what it is. They're still making money. They still have a hold. But as times change, as whether it's technology, public opinion, whatever it might do to force the publishing industry to adapt or else they won't make money because they want to make money. It's the whole point of existing. Mm -hmm. So once they realize we are missing out on a lot of money and we're starting to lose money, they'll either change or die as as companies. Publishing publishing, uh, industries have two, I think, real key things right now. Tell us, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. <laughs> Speak they, on Amazon's behalf for us. They right now have a hold on traditional bookstores mm-hmm. of, hey, th- publishers will have your book in a store. And, your st- and if it's in a store, people will see it. They w- it will gather attention. They also have money to be able to front it. And so they can take the financial risk of printing a bunch of books mm. and then making sure that they have attention. Here's the thing, though. What, the one thing they are losing is attention. That publishing, in, like Penguin Random House, does not have the same attention that they used to. They used to have a hold on the market of they're the ones that going into bookstores. And without the internet, that's where it is. That's where you go look for a book. Yeah. Or uh, the New York Times bestseller list. They have contacts within that. They can make sure that, hey, Let's make sure it's in the paper so people see it. They are losing that a lot 
<laughs> they're losing a lot of it. Mm-hmm. YouTubers and different influencers have far that, more that's attention. Us. That, that's oh, oh, you like saying that we're influencers? I hate it, but <laughs> it's true. <laughs> we we influence the poor poor kids out we, there. We we influence <laughs> a few. <laughs> In the other direction, they go they uh, go whatever the antithesis. Whatever they don't like, say. yeah, I'm gonna like. Yeah, they basically inverse to the ramble opinions. <laughs> like they talked. Uh, who do you think they inverse exactly? So if we agree on something, it's easy inverse us, but. If we disagree, that really causes a conundrum that, with the viewers. It's wonderful because I've seen the shorts where like we get hate comments of saying like for Red Rising, yes. where I'm like, hey, it's good. I'm not saying it's like my ten out of ten, where I gave it like a six point seven five. No, or you gave it a six point five five on the okay six point five five. Good book, above average. Yeah. Liked it. And people commenting, oh my god, how could he comment? The, oh my god, it's amazing book. How could he rate it so low? And so we got hate comments from me. Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh, 10 out of 10. And then people are like, oh, my God, how do you rate this thing so high? Yeah. So we got both sides of the negative stra- spectrum. No one, it's, yeah, no one agrees. It's just it's either great. I'm the crazy one who thinks it's too high or I'm you're the, the crazy one who thinks it's too low. And, and I'm happy with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but here's that's the thing. Publishing industry is going to have to figure out yeah. how to get more attention. Right. No one buys a book because, oh, Penguin Penguin Random House published this book. That means it's got to be good. No, on the flip no side, one cares. on the flip side, though, what the movie industry is doing with A twenty four, if People an A twenty four if an A twenty four film comes up out, I will watch the movie because A twenty four did it because I know that they give the directors full control and they create really creative plots. So that they've created a brand to know what to expect. They've created a genre, essentially, when you know, hey, I like my fantasy because it has these elements. I like my A24 films because I know it will have these elements to it. Yeah. Which you don't, when you're reading from um, from Penguin Random House, they publish anything. anything. Uh, not anything. It has to be a good book. And, thing is, and they can do that still, but their marketing department is not yes. there We're, yet. Right. Whereas A24 has done something to change with the times that's made them stand out. Penguin and all these other big publishers that what's what's another big one? Tor. Schuster, Simon and Schuster, Orbit, or well, Tor and Orbit are subsidiaries of the larger oh, ones. Though, yeah. like they're in, I think I don't know who owns them, but it all comes back to Bezos. Bezos owns everything. And tell us, what do you do in your free time, Bezos? Oh, you know, I just like to uh, drink the blood of children to keep my youth, and you know, you, and you, make sure that my head stays nice and silky smooth. You think we could get sued for that? Yeah, probably. That'll be it. more attention. More attention. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Bezos sues small booktube channel. <laughs> okay, so here's the final one. This is Daniel Green's top concern for the book industry. Mm-hmm. Take it away, Daniel. Let's pretend he's here. One day, you think we'll ever talk to Daniel in person? We're, we're getting there. Now, here. I think he knows who we are. Actually, he does know, uh, kind of not really. But he roasted our bookshelf and put yeah. it in his title for one of his videos. And he, I will quote. Come on, for he yeah. didn't roast it though. No, it was a bookshelf roast. And what he said is, I submitted it on Discord, on his Discord under like my Discord name was Austin. And so he looked at our bookshelf, he put it in his thumbnail of the video, and when he got to ours, he said, "That's a neat looking backdrop for a podcast." Nice work, Austin. <laughs> and I think that was the exact line, something like that. And then. Yeah. So he, he said my name once. One of these days. One day he'll say your name, Rich. I know you're not at that level yet. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> all right, here's his number one concern. And then my number one is because of the 
potential of the internet, adaptations, not necessarily of the live action or like huge video game variety are going to become far more common. And I think this as a fan makes me really happy because we're yeah. seeing people just, you know, for pure passion projects, try and just put together for free a brief animated scene from a book they love. Yeah, it goes on to say that point of, and adaptations will become bigger, more popular. Here's something I like with adaptations where, okay, on one end, I really don't like it when an adaptation does something poorly because um, it taints the fandom and now in a new way where, right. oh, it's again, change, where it's like, ah, the people in this community are not the people that I remember and like different things than I like. And now it's changed and I don't really feel like a part of it. So like with Wheel of Time, I used to, without the show, I'd be really into the community. We're kind of all on the same page, and it, I felt in. Mm -hmm. Then with the show, I don't like the show. And now, because the community is filled a lot more with like show people, because it's just common, I'm not really in. I, I, it's not my community anymore. Now, with the benefit, of, if we have more adaptations, I'm mo far more lenient if the adaptation is not really accurate to the source material if there's a lot of them and you go a different route like completely off base like make a weird cool adaptation of it, it i like that that's just it's in different the world enough. yeah that you like to watch which kind of well to to that point of adaptations in general will also not just exclude hey if you if you like something and you envision something in your head this is what i think Frodo looks like in Lord of the Rings. Correct me oh, if yeah. I'm wrong. They, 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 they bring go, this up. They go on to talk about in this video about before Peter Jackson's incredible trilogy. Like the, if, if you're looking at an adaptation done well, that's the go-to. No mm -hmm. question. So it's not a... The only negative of that... Okay, maybe there's others. But the, the negative of that is the art before the Lord of the Rings movies came out, Elijah Wood wasn't the character of Frodo, so Frodo was seen as older. I think he was in his 30s or 40s when he went started the journey. Um, he was 33 for his birthday when the book began, but then 17 years passes, right? So then he's like 49, 50. By the time he actually goes on, do I have the, uh, I might have the age wrong. I think you have the age wrong, um, but, but somewhere there. Because yeah. it's, a, it's Bilbo's 111th, and it's he, Frodo's 33rd, isn't it? He's very much, in it, the books, it's very... Very aware that he is the adult among the other hobbits. Right, Sam calls him master. And so he is the older one. But then when you look at Elijah Wood, he was 17, 18 when filming this. He was the youngest one. And so all the art, most of the art after The Lord of the Rings comes out, now you picture Frodo in this way. You can't get that out of your head, especially because the adaptation of The Lord of the Rings was so perfect. So yeah. you, you can never get that out of your head now. You look at the Shire this certain way, and thank goodness it was adapted so well that the Shire really resonates and with with how you thought of it in the books. But then again, maybe you have a different image because that's the advantage books have is you can use your imagination to fill in what suits you. Ver versus something like the Percy Jackson movies. Yeah. I don't think anyone, no one pictures in their head the characters from that movie when they read the books. No. Because it wasn't a good adaptation, it doesn't stick in your head. Um. Hope now that this wheel of time will be a test. See, are people going to see Rand as Rand in the future, or is it going to that'll actually be a really good indication of whether or not I'm right or wrong about the show? Mm. If it stays around for a long time, that's clearly I'm off. 
then other people really liked it, and it becomes synonymous with the image of the Wheel of Time. Right. That'll be a test. So maybe three to five years from now, if right. people are doing fan art of the the actor for Rand, and we start seeing the the fan imaging more similar to the show, then I'm wrong. Maybe a point to it, too, is if it becomes more pervasive. Maybe if it's not a good adaptation, but enough people like it, it's pervasive enough, then it still will have it still will muddy your opinion. Because even though Percy Jackson wasn't a good adaptation, it's hard when I think of Percy Jackson not to think like the, the thought comes to mind of, oh, that's what his character looked like in the film. That's what Annabeth looked like. That is what that scene looked like, even though that's not what I thought when I first read the books. It's hard to get rid of it if you saw the film. Well, yeah, if you saw the film or the adaptation first before the source material, that will, of course, it affects, yeah. affect it. So is that a good or bad? Is it a good or bad thing that there's going to be more adaptations? Well, here's the good. Mm-hmm. If you take it down like where they were talking about how these companies are stealing up the IP and then just doing what they want with it, mm-hmm. more likely negative. I think you're going to, if today's time and climate in the, film and adaptation industry, all this stuff. If it's any sense of it, I think almost everyone can agree we more often get bad adaptations than good adaptations. Especially fantasy. Like Especially yeah, fantasy. Yeah. We may quibble on which one's good, which one's bad, but I don't think... No one's out there going like, oh yeah, every adaptation out of the fantasy genre is just great. All of them are fantastic. Really? Come on. It... it they're not. They're not all. Uh, they're not all home runs. A lot of them are stinkers. Right. Where well, the, maybe why, the, why the positive did, yeah. change is making sure that authors keep the rights to it, and they are in charge of making their adaptations. Mm. Maybe then the quality will change, and we'll so, so we'll have more adaptations, and they will be of better quality. Didn't the One Piece creator have control over Netflix's? One Piece adaptation? Oh, yeah. He had ultimate control over it. And m- that's my hope for Red Rising with Pierce Brown having control or Sanderson having control over the adaptations. If you keep that with the author, and that's their baby. They really want it to do well. So actually, I'm hoping that Red Rising it becomes an animated. I would prefer an animated over a live action because I think you could do more with it and the world building and some of the scenes would be more difficult to do in live action. And especially the color difference as well. You can make some really cool, think arcane style. Think like, oh, I would love to see some of those scenes in animated. It would look, and th- oh, imagine. Okay. I don't, if I don't Arcane's wanna... animation team did Red Rising, yeah. that fits. Think of that it. That works. Think of it, right? You have that futuristic sci-fi, not the cyberpunk, but you know. Oh, yeah. just. No, it'd work. No, that would work. <laughs> and so that excites me. But my question to you is, you dislike the Wheel of Time adaptation. Mm-hmm. Why did you let that happen as the owner of Amazon and letting Wheel of Time on your platform? Well, being the leader of such a large company, it's mm-hmm. really hard to actually go down into the weeds and make sure people are doing everything. And you have this problem of you send down the orders and then people are telling you, hey, here's what's happening. Here's, here's what's going up. But because it's so far removed, right. I thought it was going well. Oh. And people so you thought Wheel of Time was going well. What about Rings of Power? How did you screw up there with Rings of Power? What happened? Well, see, that's the thing. It's the same problem. They're happening at the same time. I now have to have a far more hands-on approach. Right. You were in which yacht were you in at the time? Was it your was it your uh, Pacific with, Ocean yacht or your Atlantic yacht? I think I was on the yacht that we were we were taking apart that historic bridge <laughs> so I could get through. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, my God, what 
what an inconvenience. <laughs> like, I, I don't know why they can't just remove it faster. It, it was a ridiculous amount of time I had to wait for them to tear down this bridge for me. Austin and Basils will return next week. Thanks for watching, everybody. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.